Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Monday, March 7th, 2023. It's been 3,295 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 376 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and are only capable of effective attacks on a small area of the front, such as Bakhmut. Second, we maintain that Russia has committed almost all available ground forces to Ukraine and cannot maintain the current level of personnel and equipment losses. Third, We assess that the public infighting between private military company or PMC Wagner Group's leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin, and the Russian Ministry of Defense is intensifying. There is a very small but notable chance that the ongoing provocations could spark Russian-on-Russian violence. Fourth, we maintain that the Russian Ministry of Defense is actively working to eliminate the influence of PMC Wagner Group and Yevgeny Prigozhin both on and off the battlefield. Fifth, we maintain that Russia can no longer tap its strategic reserve of caliber cruise missiles and can only launch its monthly production of 25 to 30 missiles, with fewer than 30 caliber cruise missiles used for strikes on Ukrainian targets each month in December, January, and February. Sixth, we assess that the Russian military has abandoned its effort to destroy Ukraine's electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure due to a lack of precision munitions and an inability to destroy more than 50% of electrical generation and transmission capacity. Seventh, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. Eighth, We maintain that the rhetoric being spread by the Kremlin and its proxies in the social media space, claiming Ukraine is preparing an unprovoked and unjustified invasion of Transnistria, is untrue. There has been no further dialogue from Transnistrian or Russian officials, so we'll stop talking about it unless it comes up again. And finally, we maintain that the Kremlin is actively attempting to topple the legitimate government of Moldova. Let's get some regional updates and, since it's Monday, check in with both belligerents' objectives, starting with Kharkiv. The Russian objective is to push Ukrainian forces west of the Oskil River 
and set conditions for a future, larger attack. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate the northeastern corner of the oblast, hold defensive lines in the Kupiansk operational area, and protect civilians and civilian infrastructure. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, and the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported that Kivka was shelled. In Kupiansk, Russian artillery strikes targeted the maternity hospital, causing damage to the building. A 65-year-old pensioner was killed when an artillery shell struck his house. There were, however, no reports of significant fighting, so moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. The Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, recapture lost territory, and control insurgency. The Ukrainian objective is to break Russian defensive lines, advance on Svatove, Kremina, and Lusychansk, and support insurgents. Luhansk Oblast Administrative and Military Governor Serhii Haidai reported 14 skirmishes between Ukrainian and Russian forces, reinforcing our analysis and field reports that the operational tempo has slowed significantly. In the Kremina operational area, positional fighting between squad and platoon-sized units continued near the settlements of Ploshanka, Makievka, and Nevske, with no change in the situation. Fighting continued in the forested areas south of Kremina. Mercenary mill blogger War Gonzo claimed Russian forces attempted to advance on Torske and Terny without success. It is the 302nd day of fighting for control of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, with Russian forces attacking throughout the day. There was still no change to the line of conflict. In northeast Donetsk, the Russian objective is to capture the entire region and integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation. The Ukrainian objective is to defend Siversk and Bakhmut, push into the Luhansk oblast, and minimize civilian casualties. In the Solidar operational area, PMC Wagner continued its attacks on Vasyukivka and attempted to advance on Zaleznyanske without changing the situation. Our assessment from March 3rd continues to age well. While planned troop rotations are ongoing, there are growing signs that Ukrainian forces are performing a fighting withdrawal from the Zabakhmuta district east of the Bakhmutovka River. There were no verifiable changes to the line of conflict. Some quick assessment here. The situation remains very fluid and could change quickly. In the Bakhmut operational area, PMC Wagner continued attempts to advance on Orichovo-Vasilivka and Hryurivka. We haven't mapped any advance in the direction of Hryurivka because there hasn't been any verifiable intelligence and the GSAFU remains the only source reporting fighting in this direction. PMC Wagner and Russian forces continue to pressure Ukrainian defensive lines north and east of Dubovo-Vasilivka, but remained unable to break through. Fighting continued in northern Bogdanivka, with no change in the situation. There were no reports from any reliable or semi-reliable source of fighting near Khromova. Within Bakhmut, the heaviest fighting was in the Zabakhmutka district. Russian state media reported from the area of school number four, showing the area was devastated by months of fighting. Russian military reporter Alexander Kotz said, quote, 
The enemy is slowly withdrawing forces to a new line of defense, but there is no talk of surrendering Bakhmut. At the moment, Russia controls 40% of Bakhmut. In the center, the enemy, he means Ukraine, continues to resist fiercely, using urban development and stormwater drains. The commanders of the PMC Wagner estimate the number of the armed forces of Ukraine at 10 to 12,000. End quote. Another Russian reporter clarified that the number of troops included Bakhmut and the surrounding towns. South of Bakhmut, in the Kostyantanivka operational direction, fighting on the outskirts of Ivanivska continued with Ukrainian forces holding their defensive lines. Assessment here. We maintain that Russia will capture Bakhmut at all costs, and Ukrainian commanders will continue the city's defense until it is no longer advantageous to future offensive plans. In southwest Donetsk, the Russian objective is to capture the entire region, integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, and bring the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk under control. The Ukrainian objective is to lock Russian military assets in place, defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, interdict supplies, and disrupt logistics. The 1st Army Corps, reinforced by Mobix, continued its wide-scale attacks across the Avdiivka operational area. Russian forces continued to send waves of light infantry toward the Krasnohorivka Plateau and have maintained sustained attacks on Kamyanka, attempting to cross the H-20 highway. The 1st Army Corps attempted a head-on attack from Spartak in the direction of Avdiivka, suffered heavy losses, and was forced to retreat to the Minsk II border. Donetsk Oblast administrative and military governor Pavlo Kirilenko said the city was, quote, massively shelled through the night before the attempted Russian advance. Russian troops continued trying to push west out of Vodyana along the northern edge of Pervomaiske, north toward Sieverne, and defend their positions from a Ukrainian attack from the northeast. There was no change, and despite the continuous heavy attacks, the front is currently frozen. Attacks on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske continued with one report of marginal gains made by Russian troops. In the Marinka operational area, fighting to the east of Krasnohorivka, in the center of Marinka, and east of Pobida continued, with no change in the situation. In Russian-occupied Volnovakha, Rockets fired by HIMARS struck a building complex that housed a command and control center and barracks for Russian troops. Russian officials claim the location was no longer in use and there were no injuries or fatalities. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Moving on to Zaporizhia. The Russian objective is to prevent a Ukrainian offensive into Zaporizhia, integrate captured territory into the Russian Federation, and capture the remainder of the oblast. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate Russian-occupied areas, prevent further Russian advances, exploit weaknesses on the line of conflict, and protect civilians. 
Ukrainian air defenses shot down two Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones. There were no reports of damage or casualties. Exiled Melitopol mayor Ivan Fedorov claims there were HIMARS strikes on two Russian bases in the occupied city. We cannot, however, independently verify the claim. Search and rescue operations have moved to body recovery in Zaporizhia at the apartment building destroyed by a Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missile used for a ground attack on March 3rd. The death toll has now climbed to 13. Ukraine's energy minister, Hirman Khaloshenko, said that diplomatic efforts to demilitarize the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant had reached a dead end. He said that Russia had rejected the condition set by Kyiv, despite International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, support. Ukrainian officials sought to demilitarize the plant, have Rosatom employees withdraw, and reinstate Ukrainian employees without pressure from Russian officials. Khaloshenko said, quote, But in response to this, we received a null and void decree from Russian President Putin stating that ZNPP is federal property, with the registration of a company in Moscow called Zaporozhye Station. End quote. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported 16 Black Sea Fleet vessels on patrol, including two frigates and two Kilo-class submarines, capable of launching 24-caliber cruise missiles in total. In western and central Ukraine, the Russian objective is to launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to maximize casualties by deprivation of heat, water, and medical services, and break morale. The Ukrainian objective is to deter attacks and protect civilian lives. In Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery strikes across the Dnipro River. Russian forces carried out 74 fire missions, launching 360 artillery shells, mortars, grad rockets, indirect tank fire, and drone-delivered IEDs. The city of Kherson was shelled four times, targeting civilian areas. In Ponyatyvka, around noon, a house was hit by a mortar, killing a single mother and both of her children instantly. On March 4th, we reported that an ammunition depot was destroyed near Russian-occupied Holopristan. Well, now a large brush fire has expanded from the site of the strikes, with smoke visible from Kherson. In Dnipropetrovsk, four Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones were shot down near Dnipro. There were no reports of damage or casualties. On the Russian front, a Russian Tu-22M3 strategic bomber, armed with at least one Cold War-era Kh-22 air-to-surface anti-ship missile, had to make an emergency landing at St. Petersburg's Pulkovo Airport. The reason for the emergency was unclear. Speaking of unclear... Let's talk about the Russian military and mobilization. On February 28th, we reported that Mobix from the 352nd Motor Rifle Regiment were told their unit had been dissolved and they were being transferred to the DNR. They made a video appeal to PMC Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin to join his PMC instead of becoming volunteer infantry for the 1st Army Corps. On March 1st, Prigozhin reported that the transfer had reached a, quote, impasse. 
In a late-night post from his Telegram channel, the leader of Wagner Group wrote, quote, As for the mobilized, on March 2nd in the evening, I was informed that all the documents for them were signed and the Mobics left for the location of the Wagner PMC. On the way, they were intercepted by the military police. They were first returned back to the 1st Army Corps, and after that, as I was informed, they were scattered among various regiments. This was to prevent others from following their lead and not letting them go to Wagner. End quote. Prigozhin also reported that most of the ammunition order approved on February 22nd and allegedly shipped on February 23rd has not arrived, writing, quote, To date, most of the ammunition has not been shipped. We don't understand what the reasons are, ordinary bureaucracy or betrayal. End quote. Prigozhin also called for residents of St. Petersburg to protest on March 8th, which is International Women's Day, and called for the, quote, overthrow of the federal district governor. Governor Alexander Beglov and Prigozhin have butted heads repeatedly since Russia expanded its war in Ukraine. However, this is the first time the private military company leader has openly called for insurrection. Later in the day, Prigozhin took down his posts on social media. Some assessment. It is unlikely that Sergei Shoigu, and by proxy the Ministry of Defense he leads, and Prigozhin will back down. Unlike in the fall, the list of public allies Prigozhin has within the halls of the Kremlin has gotten much shorter. The statement by the leader of PMC Wagner last night clarifies the undertones of his video yesterday, where he suggested that if his mercenaries withdrew from Bakhmut, the Russian front would collapse across all of Ukraine. All is going to plan. In economic news, the ruble is starting the week trading in a narrow range with an exchange rate of 76 for one U.S. dollar. West Texas Intermediate Crude opens the week at $79 a barrel and Brent at $85. Russian Urals Crude has climbed to an official price of $62 a barrel. That's the highest bid price since December 5, 2022. United States wholesale Arbob gasoline skyrocketed last week with the price on the spot market climbing to $2.73 a gallon, or $0.72 cents a liter, a 13% increase. Dutch TTF natural gas futures continued declining, with April contracts at €43 Euros per megawatt hour and May contracts falling to 44 Chicago SRW wheat futures is starting the week on a drop, trading at $7.04 a bushel for May 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.